Hey gang, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. On this week's episode, I welcome in Adam Mendler, who is the CEO of the Veloz Group, as well as the host of the podcast, 30 Minute Mentors, where each week he goes one-on-one with one of the most successful people in the country on how they got to the top and how listeners can too. You can find Adam best on his website, adammendler.com. That's A-D-A-M-M-E-N-D-L-E-R.com. I hope you all enjoy this wide-ranging conversation. So without further ado, my chat today with Adam Mendler. Let's get it started. Adam, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you. Brian, excited to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Always good to have another podcaster on, uh, which is good. So we'll, uh, and we'll get into that. I'm excited to learn a little bit more about why you got into that. Um, but I want to start, you know, obviously part of the whole just get started mentality is actually starting and, and having visions for what you want with your life and those type of things. I'm curious if, if you can actually start us off, you have to put back your college hat. So you have to go back to USC years ago. What were you going to be when you grew up? What was that when that question got asked you back in those days? What was your answer at that time? Yeah, it, great question, and it's actually the same answer as it was when I was a little kid, and the same answer as it was a few years out of college. So, from the time I was seven until the time I was in my early twenties, I was planning on running a baseball team. I was going to be the general manager of the Angels. And the way they've been playing this year, they could probably use my help, but they could probably use anyone's help this year. And I actually, I'm a big fan of Billy Epler, who's the GM of the Angels. So I think he's doing a good job. And I, he, he's on the last year of his contract, and I hope the Angels extend him. But that was my dream as a kid. I wanted to run a baseball team. And it wasn't just my dream. It was my plan and my first internship when I was in high school was for a sports agent and it was an amazing experience for me. It gave me a flavor for what it was like to work in sports, for what it was like to work in baseball. And I worked there multiple summers. It was just an awesome experience for me. And when I was in college, I worked for the NBA in their summer basketball league. And that was the goal. When I graduated from college, you know, I didn't land any jobs in baseball. I had sent my application to a couple of teams and, you know, it's just so competitive to get a job working for a baseball team, but you got to work somewhere. So I wound up working for what was then the largest hedge fund in the world, a company called D.E. Shaw. And my goal really was to just continue to try to get the kind of experience that would position me to do that, um, working for what was then the Goldman Sachs of hedge funds, still an amazing hedge fund. Um, the idea was to ultimately go to business school, which I wound up doing. And it wasn't really until my early 20s that I realized that maybe running a baseball team wasn't in alignment with what I really wanted to do with my life. Sometimes the goals you set out for yourself as a kid aren't necessarily what you really want to do for yourself as an adult, but it took some time to figure that out. 
Well, yeah, and it looked like, you know, through your journey and and not that it's any fault to anyone, right? You kind of went through that normal process. You got a, you know, with the hedge fund and then you were at Credit Suisse, if I saw correctly, right, as a private banker. What what was going through your head? Like, were you going to continue down that path? Because it looked like there were some drastic shifts, right? Where you got into a lot of different stuff. Obviously, now, you you know, you've co-founded this company and, and doing a lot of things like that. But was there some shift in your mindset? Like you were just kind of laying the blocks down to begin and then had these visions of doing some other stuff? Or did those opportunities kind of serendipitously come up and you're like, you know what, this sounds cool. Maybe I'm going to go down that path now. Can you tell us a little bit about no, that? No, not, not at all. I, for better or worse, and probably for worse, I've always been very strategic in terms of how I've approached my career. And it wasn't really until I became an entrepreneur that I became a little bit less strategic because as an entrepreneur, you realize that you can't plan everything out. Life doesn't work that way. But it wasn't until I started the Velos Group and got on this entrepreneurial journey that my mindset shifted. So back when I was in my 20s, my mindset was very different. And taking you and your listeners back to those days, coming out of college, I was focused on running a baseball team. And again, I I didn't land a job with a baseball team. So I decided I would go and just get the best job I could and try to take a different path So I wound up working for D.E. Shaw. Um, I had taken the GMAT right after graduating. I was planning on going to business school. And what happened was in my early 20s, I came to the realization that for a variety of reasons, running a baseball team wasn't really aligned with what I wanted to do with my life. And we could spend an entire podcast episode on that, but I don't necessarily know that that's the theme of this episode. Um, And I decided that I would pursue something a little bit different. And I asked myself, and I had a conversation with a mentor of mine, uh, and we're just sort of trying to figure out what is it that I love that that aligns with what I really want to do. And I've always enjoyed entertainment. I love old movies. I grew up watching a lot of TV. And that was just kind of the natural transition for me in terms of, I'm not going to run a baseball team, but what about being an executive in the world of entertainment? That sounds like something that would be really well suited to my skill set, really well suited to my interests. That's something that long-term could jive well with what I want to do. So when I went to business school, that was my focus. My goal going into UCLA business school was to pursue a career in entertainment. And my first uh, year in business school, I did all the things that you're supposed to do in business school to do that. And my first, uh, my summer, the, the summer in between year one and year two of business school, I got an internship working for William Morris Endeavor, which is for listeners who aren't aware, is a huge talent agency. And in my second year of business school, I got an internship with Universal Pictures, one of the big Hollywood studios. So I was really all geared up to shift and pivot into entertainment. 
And uh, the backdrop of all of this was the financial crisis. So I started business school in 2008. And literally, the day that I started business school was the day that Lehman Brothers collapsed. So we started orientation and Lehman filed for bankruptcy that Sunday. So the backdrop of being an MBA student was this incredible financial crisis. And that shaped the way most of my classmates thought, that shaped the way certainly the career center approached things, it shaped the way our professors approached things. And uh, it, it definitely shaped the way that I looked at the job market. So what happened was in the fall of 2009, my second year of business school, um, you know, I was all geared up to apply for jobs in the world of entertainment. But the way it works is, or at least the way it worked back then, this was 10 years ago. I may have changed in the past decade, but at least a decade ago, the way it worked was when you were applying for jobs in the entertainment industry uh, on the business side, the studios and agencies hired on a just-in-time basis, which meant that they hired students right as they were graduating, right as they became available to enter into the job market. And I felt like that was very risky. And what I want is particularly in that economy, the second year students, um, when I was a first year, got shut out. They didn't get the plum jobs that I was applying for, that I, that I wanted to apply for um, because the economy was so bad. So I felt like I needed to have a backup plan just in the event that you know I would have at least something in my back pocket. So I did the traditional on-campus recruiting and um, it, by the way, is this interesting at all? I, I know this is kind of going down a path that I probably wasn't expecting to take you into. Yeah, well, you know what? I don't mind the tangents. It's good. Uh, well, actually, you know, it's interesting because I think one of the things we, you know, I always talk about this in the podcast is we see the before and after, right? And most of the time, the after gets shown in our, in our world that's kind of just, you know, everything's streamlined and, and we see everything flowing on Instagram or whatever. And the before is so important because, you know, again, if someone looked at what you're doing today, they would have never pictured that you maybe went down a traditional path or you went over some challenge. So I think it's good to, to layer in the backstory. So no, it's very helpful um, if you don't mind finishing that thought. Yeah, so I guess to wrap the thought up, I, what happened was I was of the mind that it would probably be a good idea to go through the traditional on-campus recruiting in the fall so I would at least have a backup plan in the event that I got shut out in the spring or when I graduated. I just wanted to have something in my back pocket. And um, the, the Career Center told us that the key to landing a job was you needed to have a really good cover letter and you needed to attend all of the on-campus recruiting events. Those were kind of the two key things to landing a job with a traditional company. And, you know, I wasn't interested in, in these companies, so I didn't do either. I just sort of threw my resume out there and my 
methodology was, if it's a company I've heard of, I'm going to apply. If it's a company I haven't heard of, I'm not going to apply. So if it's, uh, you know, Brian's podcast, I've never heard of the Brian's podcast company. I'm not applying there. But if it's Goldman Sachs, yeah, I've heard of Goldman Sachs, I'll apply. So I, I just applied to, let's say, 20 different companies across every industry imaginable. And I threw my resume out there and I got interviews with almost every one of them. One of the companies, Boston Consulting Group, actually sent me an email and they said, we want to, we want to invite you to a first round interview, but we can't because you didn't send in a cover letter. So can you write a cover letter so that we can interview you? I'm like, sure, I'll do that. So, so I wound up uh, going through this interview process. And at the end of it, I wound up with a couple of different opportunities. One of them from Credit Suisse, they gave me an exploding offer. I had to make a decision by January whether or not to accept their offer. And needless to say, that didn't really give me an opportunity to do the recruiting in entertainment because entertainment, again, takes place after graduation or toward graduation. So I sort of had this like gun to my head moment where it was take this job in finance, security, signing bonus, um, prestigious company, all this, uh, or wait, risk it, you could get shut out. And I did the conservative thing and I took the job with Credit Suisse and I went back into finance. And, um, and that's what happened. I, I, didn't last, I didn't last very long. I was there for a year and a half before I kind of realized that this wasn't exactly the path for me. And I started the entrepreneurial journey, building the Velos group. But I, I don't mean to bore your listeners with all these extraneous details, but it's a little bit about my background. You know, well, I was going to say, were you bored out of your mind like day one? <laughs> um, I'm not going to comment, but I look, I think it takes time to figure out what your, let, let's take a step back, Brian. Some people have a job right out of college and they fall in love with that job and that job becomes their career. And that's what they do for the rest of their life. I don't know too many of those people. Most people I know take a windy path to figuring out what they wind up doing over the course of their careers and the course of their lives. I've had a lot of different internships. I've had a few different jobs and I've started several different businesses and it takes experience to figure out what you enjoy doing, what you're good at, what all the pieces are that ultimately come together to comprise the right thing for you. Yeah, what always fascinates me because it's this, it's this tussle between um, and I think you can appreciate this but between giving advice and you, cause I, I'm, I'm assuming now in the position you're in and, and with obviously a lot of the, the different articles you've written and, and different things you're doing, 
you want to give advice and help people, but at the same time, it's almost like they have to go through that struggle themselves to figure it out. You know, it's such a quandary um, because I'm, I'm, I'm curious if there's anything you would share, like things that you went through with uh, as a private banker there in that year and a half to maybe get people to think like when they're actually in that situation that either a, they made a really good choice or there are things they should look at or B maybe it wasn't the best choice. Is it really just them being happy and not happy going into work? Or is there anything else that you learned from that experience that maybe others could, I guess, glean insight into? Yeah. So I, and it's not just my experience at Credit Suisse, but my experience over the course of my career, my experience at different jobs, my experience building different businesses. I've come to learn that, and by the way, this is something that I tell all kinds of audiences, whether they're audiences I speak to, companies, college students, leaders of nonprofit organizations, podcast listeners. I think it's important to check the following three boxes. Number one, is this something that I'm really passionate about? Do I enjoy this? Is this fun for me? That's really important. Number two is, am I good at this? Is this something that I do well? Does this align with my strengths? And number three, which I don't think enough people really spend the time really internalizing, am I making a positive difference? Am I really contributing to the greater good? And if you can find something that checks all three of those boxes, you know you found it. You know that that's it. And as an entrepreneur, I'm fortunate in that I'm able to spend my time doing things that check all three of those boxes. And when I say as an entrepreneur, that could be through my office furniture business where we're helping people in a number of different ways, or that could be through my content, my podcast, my speaking, my writing. But I try to spend my time checking those three boxes. And if you're in a job that doesn't align with what you're great at, if you're in a job that just isn't fulfilling to you. And if you're in a job that you don't feel like you're really making a positive difference in some way to society, I don't know how long you can really last in it. I don't, to me, that's not sustainable. So that's the prism through which I think about things. And that's the prism through which I suggest other people think about things. Yeah, that's really cool. It's actually, I didn't, I didn't expect you to, to go right there because that actually aligns with, you know, I kind of, I call it the trifecta of happiness. Do what you love, what you're great at, and where you want to make an impact on the world. So that's really cool that the intersection there of what you're saying, because I, I think that's the key is if you're not happy, you can certainly do that for 20 years, but why? Like you only get one life, right? Why would you not try to do something that makes you fulfilled, makes you, you know, happier in life. Um, and, and with that, you know, the, the transition, I guess, and maybe you can chat a little bit about this is you could have left 
Credit Suisse and you could have went and been a, I don't know, a stage hand and, you know, whatever, like you could have worked on the lots there in Universal or something like that. But you decide to actually go and, and start this business. And, and obviously you're executive producer um, with the uh, Virtually Israel. And then you did some other stuff as well. Can you share a little bit about why you thought it was necessary to go and, and start a business and kind of uh, go down that route? Was there something that clicked in your head um, during that time or was it an idea that's been generating for a long time? Can you share a little about that journey? Yeah, so I, I shared a little bit of the journey with listeners and I was 28. I had worked for two really big companies, D.E. Shaw and Credit Suisse. They were two giants in the financial services world. I had interned for two of the biggest companies in the entertainment industry. And I felt like I had a pretty good flavor for what, was, what life was like working in corporate America. And it was just the right time for me to try something entrepreneurial. I felt like if there was ever a moment for me to go out and do my own thing, it was then and there. My energy was never going to be higher. My expenses were never going to be lower. And I felt like I wanted to make more of an impact. I had ideas around company culture that things that I thought that I could do a little bit different things that I thought ways that I thought I could impact other people um, really try to build a culture that would be meaningful to anyone in our orbit. And I just felt this calling to, at that moment in my life to just do it. And, and I did it. And my brother at the time was working as a software developer. He's two years younger than me. And he was um, buying and selling chairs out of his apartment and sort of had this idea to, to try to build it into a real business, but needed someone like me to actually do it to actually turn it into a real business and um, you know he was kind of ready to move on from being a software developer and wanted to really try to build this with me so we both just kind of joined forces and we have very different skill sets and we thought that that would lead to a, a good team and a good partnership and we just made it happen and our first year and a half we had lots of different ideas one of them being this furniture concept and um, we probably pushed on 10 different ideas in that first year and a half and a lot of them went nowhere but a couple of them went somewhere and after a year and a half we realized that we had to focus we were just running in way too many different directions so we picked the two ideas that were closest to monetization and we focused on those two and one became Beverly Hills Chairs, the other became Custom Tobacco. And those are two businesses that we continue to run today. And um, entrepreneurial journey is, as anyone listening who's been on it can tell you, uh, roller coaster, lots of highs, lots of lows, but there's no learning experience like it. Do you think it was just random that, because it seems like your brother, obviously, you know, this is kind of similar to mine. I have an older brother, but 
you know, very entrepreneurial as well. He was doing a side hustle there with the chairs. Like, did you talk about that a lot? You know, kind of the entrepreneurial spirit or were those conversations that you guys didn't have as much? I have to imagine that's got to be rooted in the upbringing at some point. Well, my, my brother, point. my brother is a real entrepreneur. I'm an accidental entrepreneur. I'm not. And again, listeners who have, uh, you know, made it through to this point of the podcast who have somehow been able to bear all the way through hearing my experiences talking about wanting to be general manager of the angels and my journey working in business school, working in the entertainment industry, working in finance. You guys know a little bit about me and women know a little bit about me. And maybe you've realized that I'm not a born entrepreneur. It wasn't until I was 28 years old that I realized that I should try to do something entrepreneurial. My brother is a born entrepreneur. My brother is the kind of guy who has to be an entrepreneur. And in my case, once I caught the itch, as any entrepreneur can tell you, it's a hard itch to stop scratching, like any itch. I was at my parents' house over the weekend and I caught a bunch of mosquito bites and now I have a bunch of itches. So I can tell you that I don't scratch them though. I'm, I'm very disciplined, but the entrepreneurial itch, you want to scratch it. And it's hard to go back once you become an entrepreneur. So my brother, growing up, he was always buying and selling things. When I was growing up, I was watching a lot of baseball. I was uh, making a lot of friends. I was student body president in grade school. I was the captain of my baseball team. I was focused on getting good grades when I was in college. I was Phi Beta Kappa. I was president of the Business Scholars Society. So we have a little bit of a different skill set. I've always been more of the people person. That's a skill of mine has been the ability to connect with people and the ability to build relationships in a really organic way. My brother has the skill in which he can find things really cheaply, see value, and figure out how he can uh, resell them at a profit. That's, that's what an entrepreneur does. So our partnership has worked in that way because in any business, in any partnership, particularly in an entrepreneurial partnership, you want to be able to be with people who compliment you. You want to be with people who bring skills to the table that you don't have. We all have things that we do really well, but we all have things that we do not well. And in my case, there are tons of things that I'm really, really bad at. So it's important for me to surround myself with people who do things that I don't do well, whether it's my brother or lots of other people in our organization do things that I don't do well, that my brother doesn't do well, that you know, my brother has tons of weaknesses and it's important for us as an organization to, and for any organization to scale, to bring people in who excel in areas in which you don't necessarily excel. Well, to that point, how important has the support systems been in, in your career? Um, and, and both on the positive side, 
you know, being able to uplift you and give you that positive reinforcement, but also the ones to be critical, right? And, and to be there from a, from a respect standpoint, but also be able to help you kind of push through some of those tough times. Can, can you share a little bit about how support systems have helped? Sure. So I'm a very big believer in the power of mentorship. Listeners may or may not be familiar with my podcast, 30 Minute Mentors. Every week I go one-on-one with one of the most successful people in the country on how they got to the top and how listeners can get to the top as well in 30 minutes. And the idea behind 30 Minute Mentors was that I wanted to bring the best network of mentors to a broad audience of listeners because my life has been impacted by mentorship. And I can tell you that when you talk to anyone who has attained any level of success, certainly people who have attained far more, uh, far greater levels of success than I have, one of the things they'll tell you is they wouldn't have been able to do it without mentorship. They wouldn't have been able to do it without the support and the guidance of others. And there are two kinds of mentorship. There are traditional mentors. There are people who, and I I made reference to one of them earlier in the podcast, uh, the sports agent who I worked for right out of high school. Uh, He's a great mentor of mine, and he would fall in the category of more of a traditional mentor. And what is a traditional mentor? A traditional mentor is someone who you're in more regular communication with, you have a longer relationship with. I had a guest on my podcast who was a number one New York Times bestselling author. And he told me and told listeners that the average mentor-mentee relationship starts with someone who you know for a decade or more. And that was the case with uh, the sports agent. He was someone who I knew from the time I was a little kid. But I also believe in the value of something that I call mini mentors. And that's really where I was inspired with 30 Minute Mentors. Mini mentors are people who, in contrast to traditional mentors, you might have a conversation with them once. You might have a conversation with them once a year or once out of the blue. But that conversation can be incredibly impactful. That conversation can change the way you do business. That conversation can change your outlook on life. That could change your perspective. And I've been incredibly fortunate in the course of my life and in the course of my career to have so many great mini mentors. And that's really what I try to bring to life through 30 minute mentors. Well, I guess I'll ask just as a quick tangent. I want to get back to mentors for a second, but why did you start the podcast? Why was like in terms of the actual going to podcast, like you could have had an interview and did a written form or whatever. Is there, is just because podcasting obviously has become more of the norm nowadays or anything else behind that? Yeah. So I actually, before starting 30 minute mentors, uh, I actually do have a written interview series. So, uh, and it's still live and I do contribute um, from time to time. So in Ariana Huffington's platform, Thrive Global, uh, I have interviewed over 350 of the uh, most successful CEOs, founders, celebrities, athletes, influencers. And 
it's up there. And I probably did 300 of them. And I realized that while this is great and while this is valuable to people who are reading these, to really take this to the next level, to really give a broad audience much deeper insights and a far richer experience, got to do a podcast. And what was holding me back from doing a podcast was really just the time. Because Brian, as you know, it's a very time intensive process, particularly if you want to do it right. And I just have a lot on my plate. I've always had a lot on my plate. And it was purely a matter of making a commitment, carving out the time saying, I'm going to do it. But, but I did, I made a commitment to myself. I said that I'm going to launch it in January of 2020. And I did. So podcast went live January, 2020. And um, as of this recording, I'm not sure when, when this is going to go live, but as of this recording, uh, we're at episode 33. So every week there's a new episode with a leading CEO, founder, celebrity, athlete, general, admiral. Actually, this week, the guest is the admiral, David Robinson. So any basketball uh, fan, yeah. uh, NBA Hall of Famer. And... Um, but, I, but I've, I've had other, I've had admirals on, Admiral Jim Stavridis, retired four-star admiral, the uh, former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO was a guest. But um, so it's just been something I've enjoyed doing and it's a way to really try to take this kind of content and bring it to listeners in a format that I think can be really valuable. How would you recommend people reach out to mentors? I've had this come up a lot in conversation where, and you mentioned the folks that you know for 10 plus years, right? You know, maybe it's a little easier, but especially these mini mentors, as you call them, I have to imagine, and I, well, I know just from my own personal experience is the fearfulness sometimes of reaching out and asking to be a mentor to help out. Is there anything that you've learned to help people overcome that fear um, so they actually can get the advice or the insight they need from people that could help them? Yeah, a couple of pieces of, a couple of, pieces of advice. Um, number one is, I think it's really important in any relationship that you engage in to always try to provide value. So someone anyone has the ability to add value to anyone else's life. And I'll give an example. A college student reached out to me, and I actually wrote about this in Forbes a couple of years ago, but a college student reached out, reached out to me. He was a USC student. And he, uh, I've, I've already kind of told a lot of long stories, so I'll, I'll make this one short. But he was reaching out to me so that I could either be his mentor or his mini mentor, but he was essentially reaching out to me for that purpose. And I have a lot of students who reach out to me and um, there's only so much time in the day. And, but you know, I'm, I, this is what I do and I'm, I'm usually pretty receptive. And um, what I told this guy was, I said, right now I'm just really busy, but if you follow up with me in a couple of weeks, i uh, be happy to get together with you and, he did, and we met for coffee. And uh, 
as we were meeting for coffee, I told him, I was, you know, walking him through some advice on what I would do if I was a college student and so on and so forth. And one of the pieces of advice I gave him was, you don't realize that no matter where you are in your journey, you have the ability to add value to people. You have the ability to add value to people's lives, to anyone's lives. You, for example, I was telling this kid, you have the ability to add value to my life. And he was like, what do you mean? And I said, well, I'm sure that there's some way you could add value to my life. And it's really just a matter of getting to know people, building relationships, understanding that anyone has that capacity, asking questions, really trying to get to know people, having the mindset that you want to give, that you want to be a giver, not just a taker. And in this case, um, this student who I met with, um, he added way more value to me than I added value to him. I mean, I gave him advice and we met for coffee and I, I told him what I would do if I was a college student and I made some introductions for him, but he wound up connecting me to one of his frat brothers who became one of my favorite interns that summer. So I hired this guy, Nick, and Nick wound up interning for me and Nick was awesome. And, and if not for my coffee with this, this guy, uh, Connor, I never would have met Nick and, and Nick became one of my favorite interns. So what is the connection here? Listeners should lead with adding some, for, some sort of value. If you are of the mind that you can help someone else they're going to be a lot more likely to be willing to help you in some way. Another piece of advice is try to reach out to people who you might have some form of commonality with. So in this case, Connor, who had reached out to me, went to USC. I'm a USC graduate. So there was that level of commonality. Uh, someone reached out to me a couple years ago and we did a, we jumped on a quick call and uh, it was kind of like the, the similar type of thing. And we jumped on the call and the guy was asking for my advice on the wealth management business. And as your listeners know, I wasn't in the wealth management business for very long. So it was a very quick phone call. And after the phone call, the guy emailed me and said, Hey, thanks for the advice. Da, da, da. By the way, I noticed that you're a big Angels fan. If you ever want to go catch an Angels game, let me know. And I, I responded back to him. I said, dude, we, on the phone call, you should have just talked to me about the Angels instead of talked to me about wealth management. We would have had a much longer phone call. Um, and, and yeah, like I would love to catch an Angel game with you. This guy has now become a very close friend of mine. He's, he and I are like very, very good buddies. We text all the time. So you never know where things take you. Yeah, if you just led with that, right? I see where you're going with that. Um, and and that's, we, wound I think, go, we wound up going to an angel game and we hit it off. This yeah, guy is awesome. a great guy and he, just a tremendous guy. And we bonded over our love of baseball. Well, so let's end on this. This is some great insight um, here, Adam. I, I want to get your additional advice. And, and really, this is around getting started. 
um, for folks that are, because the fear and the anxiety, those are the, the two big things, right, of why people, it's why it took me two years to start this podcast. So what advice would you share to help people overcome that fear and anxiety um, to actually get started on whatever, whatever passion project they have, whatever hobby it is, whatever business they want to start, doesn't matter. Uh, but is there any advice you'd share to get them started? Yeah. Best way I can try to frame it for your listeners is that the biggest, the biggest failure you make is not trying. We all fail. We all fall on our faces. I've literally fallen on my face. I don't know if anyone has, Brian, have you ever used the um, ab wheel? Oh, the ab, yeah, 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 I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I have, yeah. So I was doing the ab wheel and push-up form. This was a few years ago. And I literally flipped over and fell on my face. My nose was bloody. It was not a good experience. So, so we've, we've all fallen on our faces, whether it was figuratively or in my case, literally. Definitely both. And there's nothing wrong with that. Well, I, there was something wrong with falling on my face, literally. But... The, the worst thing that could happen is not trying. When I started the Velos group, the reason why I was able to start the Velos group was because I had the mindset that if I failed, so what? Who cares? What's the worst thing that could happen? I would go back and re-enter the corporate world and have had this great learning experience of being an entrepreneur and doing all these things and hiring people and managing people and and it would make me a better leader and it would make me a better employee. Uh, fortunately, I'm still on the entrepreneurial journey and uh, I'm, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, as we talked about earlier, you want to be on that entrepreneurial journey for the rest of your life. But when you're too afraid to try something, you've already failed. Because you, by, by virtue of not trying, you haven't succeeded in attempting to do or doing whatever it was that you really wanted to do. So, you know, the, the famous quote from Wayne Gretzky that, what, what's the quote, Brian? Well, there's a few. You're talking about uh, skate to where the puck is, going, is or whatever, or, or there's a different one. Different quote. Can, can anyone tell I, or it's, it's just uh, that you, you miss all the shots that you don't take. Oh, so, right, right, right. But, and I think, and I, I feel like Michael Scott has a, a version of that quote as well. But at the end of the day, it's purely a matter of putting yourself out there in anything, in life, in business, in whatever it is you're endeavoring to do. Yeah, and what I'm learning as well, especially through my journey, is that what's like what's the alternative, right? Because I've sat in so much fear and worry about what's going to happen, and then when you you know those moments you get where you, and I don't know about you, but like especially if you're speaking in front of people or whatever, like you get so nervous, and then you go through it and you're like, oh, that wasn't that bad, you know, like it's actually not as bad as you make it out. One of my favorite quotes is from you know Seneca, where he says, you, "We suffer you most." Are you, are you making a reference to? listeners who were really fearful about 
having to listen to me on this podcast. And now that the episode is wrapping up, they're like, you know what, this guy's not that bad. <laughs> no, that's not it at all. Um, I, no, I, I really think like the, you know, the, we suffer most often in imagination and then reality, like that thought of we conjure up whatever in our head from maybe it's past experience or whatever. So I think it, it, the advice is great. It's like, you just got to go for it. Right. You really just have to step outside and just, you know, kind of go forward because at the end of the day, like what's the alternative that happens, right? Would you agree? I mean, that that's life is short as it is. So why would you kind of sit in the sidelines and, and on the bench when you can actually be in playing the game? Right. It totally. And I know that there's, no such thing anymore as going out to bars. Bars are shut down. Who knows when they're going to reopen. But if we can take ourselves back to the days for anyone listening who is single or was single, you see someone who you're attracted to at the bar and you're too afraid to make a move or open a conversation, you've already lost because that conversation is never going to take place. Now, if you approach that person across the bar, pretty girl, you see her and you, she blows you off. All right. That's, that's the same result as not approaching her. So if you approach her and get rejected, literally same outcome as not approaching. But if you, if you don't approach, there's a 0% possibility of a positive outcome. So, try. If you try, there's some chance. Now, obviously you want to try to do things that will optimize your chances of success, but you will have a 0% chance of success by not trying. Yeah, very well said, Adam. Well said. This is a lot of fun. I, I appreciate you jumping on and uh, definitely I've, I've listened to a few of the episodes on the, uh, the 30 minute mentor. So definitely recommend other folks listen on this to go check out his podcast as well. And you know, it's always good to hear from great minds that have been there and kind of what they learned in the process. So, um, so absolutely recommend to check that out. Where can other people find you? Where's the best place to connect online? Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. And I appreciate the kind words about the podcast. I try to make it really easy for anyone interested. You can just go to my website. It's my name, Adam Mendler. So you go, can go to adammendler.com. You can find me on social media at Adam Mendler. So that's at Adam Mendler on Instagram, at Adam Mendler on Twitter. The podcast 30 Minute Mentors is all spelled out and it's available on every podcasting app. So whatever app you're listening to this great podcast on, or you could go to 30minutementors.com. Awesome. And I'll link everything else uh, up in the show notes. Uh, Adam, this is great. Thank you so much for uh, taking time out and uh, imparting your wisdom on the audience. So I certainly appreciate it. Brian, thank you. And thank you to your listeners for taking the time and bearing through those stories, which I wasn't planning on telling, but if you made it this far, man, you have my sympathy. I hope you all enjoyed that interview. And thanks again for stopping by. And just one more quick thing before you run along on your day. You know, this podcast has grown very organically since I started it over two and a half years ago. So anything you can do to share this episode out to your network or maybe go to Apple Podcast and leave a rating and a review, um, anything you can do at all, I'd certainly be appreciative of it. Um, if you'd like to connect with me online, my website, brianandreco.com, 
or head over to Instagram or LinkedIn and Twitter at Brian Andreco or type my name, Brian Andreco, and it'll come up. I hope you all have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.